All right, welcome back everyone to a very, you know, they're all special, to to, to an excellent episode of Seaweed Brain. We're in Leo's perspective now. It's, it's, it's going to be exciting. Please, please stick around. <laughs> We both just moved um, several thousand miles to new locations, so apologies if you hear weird background noises throughout this episode, and also if episodes are sporadic for a while, um, we're trying to be adults. <laughs> Being an adult and running a podcast about children's literature, sometimes those things conflict, but both and, we can do things, multiple things at once. Um, we have a brand new special guest on our show today. Get excited. Say hello to Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Elizabeth has been a very long time listener of Seaweed Brain and has, throughout the months of this podcast, sent us many wonderful messages and made many wonderful posts and TikToks and all kinds of amazing content. And we have some, some questions for you since this is your first time here. First of all, like, where are you and, like, what do you do, I guess? Like, who who are you? What do you got going on? <laughs> yeah, so I also literally yesterday made a transnational move. <laughs> I am back in Texas because I go to Orange Cow University, a.k.a. UT Austin. So <laughs> nice. I'll be in my fourth year there studying international relations. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Full-time student. <laughs> wow, thank you for being here despite also doing a transnational move this week. <laughs> okay, our usual questions, we'll just fire them at you. When did you first start reading Percy Jackson and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I was nine. So it was right after the last Olympian came out. Yes, so I yes. got to read like the whole series. Exactly. Back to yes. back. I swear, I, do you guys know like book boyfriends and like girlfriends like, <laughs> idea of like falling in love with a book character? I swear that was yeah. like Percy Jackson. Nine-year-old me was just obsessed. And I mean, literally 12 years later, here I am. <laughs> so Heroes of Olympus was that series I would get my birthday's in October, which is like right around when it came out. So each year I would get the new book and then like reread the whole series. So like this series, even though I don't think it's as good as Percy Jackson the Olympians I've read this way more mm. just because of that little mm. system so yeah long we're all in a long-term book boyfriend relationship with Percy Jackson <laughs> when you were reading these books as a nine-year-old how did you pronounce the name of the centaur who falsely apparently has the job of running Camp Half-Blood when we know that belongs to Annabeth Chase what does he actually do except be like mysterious <laughs> yeah I said Chiron because I'm familiar with like a CH name so I just pronounced it the same way it's okay she's perfect that's fine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> who is your godly parent or like your riot inverse um identity because there are many things to choose from in this world Right. <laughs> I've done the quiz multiple times, and it's Cabin Six, Daughter of Athena. <laughs> I would like to be Daughter of Poseidon for the water powers. That's what. Right. <laughs> Who doesn't love water powers? Yeah, but it, it hasn't. It just hasn't hasn't worked out that way based on how I answered those those quiz questions. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's these two questions. It's like, 
what would you rather be doing? And, like, the reading is an option, and then there's, like, an activity, and it's, like, go to a library or something. I think those get me each time. <laughs> would you rather fly and shoot lightning out of your fingers or read a book? Book. <laughs> Do you want to go deep sea diving or read a book? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, thank you. Thank you. I hope our listeners um, feel like they really have known you for years now, and we're just all, we're all good old friends. Heads up that from here on out, so we did, our first episode was Hazel, our second episode episode was Annabeth and our goal from here on out is to do eight chapters at a time from now on so one Persebeth section and one non-Persebeth section because the gods know our listeners do not give a foo about <laughs> the non-Persebeth sections and if we were to do those alternating episodes no one would listen to them so we're all putting it into one from here on out um, which means today we've got some Leo and we've got some Percy. Shall we begin? Yeah so for those of you who were with us last time, we left off with Percy and Annabeth in Tartarus, of course, making their way deeper in, following the river, following the Impasai, trying to reach, you know, the deepest, darkest depths of hell. And we have a hard cut over to Leo. Leo is uh, in the, what do you call this? Like the bowels of the ship? Under deck? The hole? The Leo, Leo's in there. Leo's in the guts of the ship, getting to know our new friend, the um, Athena Parthenos. He's sort of finding his way around it. We have a lot of internal monologue about his relationship to this new, allegedly very powerful mm. device for which arguably Annabeth and Percy went to hell to acquire. And, and he doesn't really get it. <laughs> this section gives us uh, an interesting juxtaposition. As we said, the structure of this book is that we're going 4-4 between Persebeth sections and then into everybody else alternating. So it's sort of inevitable that there's probably going to be some tonal shifts, but this is probably one of the most abrupt tonal shifts. Like in Tartarus, they basically just concluded, like, we have to follow this horde of super dangerous monsters into the darker depths to find more Right, and then we hard cut to Leo, who's just sort of, you know, like, I, I... He's on a mission, but he's, you know, he's making jokes, he's chilling. He's um, chilling. Like, at the point where we meet him, he's just sort of trying to get to sleep. This is page 58. Annabeth had said, well, he tried not to think about Annabeth. He still felt guilty about her and Percy falling into Tartarus. Leo knew it was his fault. He should have gotten everyone safely on board the Argo 2 before he started securing the statue. He should have realized the cavern floor was unstable. Still, moping around wasn't going to get Percy and Annabeth back. He had to concentrate on fixing the problems he could fix. But he doesn't take his own advice, and I love Leo. I don't know if it's my Texas nationalism showing or what. Mm. I think by this point, he's a little bit less of like a stereotype and caricature by like House of Hades. I kind of relate mm -hmm. to his unhealthy coping mechanisms a bit. I don't know. But at this point in the book, I am just so annoyed because he is very self-pitying and feeling all this guilt and shame about something he literally had zero mm -hmm. control over. And even though he recognizes, like he self-corrects in the same train of thought, but then it keeps coming up later and later. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. just between what you were saying earlier about how jarring it is to read this book like Persebeth is literally <laughs> dying and then we get Leo complaining about not helping the I, I don't know every chapter where it's not their perspective it just feels like the stakes aren't as high and it kind of feels especially with this one like it's such a stupid side quest <laughs> And, like, it literally doesn't compare to them <laughs> in hell. I, I don't know. 
So, yeah. I tweeted something a week ago about, like, how I can't get through a single POV in this book without crying, but I was wrong. This one doesn't affect me. <laughs> but, like, from here on out, I feel like after the first couple non-Persebeth sections, they start to get really intense, and each side quest gets, like, Carter disagrees. Carter threw up a hand. <laughs> I hate to be that person, but to the point that you were making before, Elizabeth, I do think that this book tries really hard to lean into the idea of Leo maturing and accessing new parts of himself, trying to... <laughs> move beyond the character we've gotten so far of the jokester and like while some of that maturation is not super effective i, I don't know like in, in this chapter i feel rick trying really hard like a lot of the writing in this section feels very effortful yeah. in the way that he's trying to be like oh like leo's internal monologue is not all jokes like let me give you this toxic workism and control <laughs> obsession yeah. as a way of yeah he's like very obsessive about his work in this book yes and he does it as a way of like deflecting right and that's like in, in, i have to say i, I feel character growth we maybe i'll come back and argue with myself later as we get farther into this book but i feel character growth i think from everyone maybe except for leo frankly i don't know <gasps> i i know i'm supposed to think like something happens to him when he meets spoiler spoiler calypso but i just don't like a girl paying <laughs> attention to you should not be the thing that explodes you into manhood. I don't know. I think you're right. I think that point is 100% right. I'm of two minds about this because like, I think that this section is presented as him like growing up because his response to like traumas and hardships now rather than making jokes is- Working really, really hard to fix it? Compulsively working. But I feel like that's why the landing doesn't feel like it sticks to me because I would not, you know, at the place that I am in life now, characterize that as like a healthy way of working through- Something yeah, not everyone becomes a healthier version of themselves right? in this book at Frank Zhang. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, that's real. We'll that's there. very real. But because Leo starts from such a different place, I feel like he is growing, but just because he doesn't land somewhere that we're satisfied with, it still feels icky to me. I honestly don't know if he's grown that much because when he interacts with Jason, he's still making the stupid jokes that aren't, you know, actually funny. Yes. Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. But I, I think back to, I think this might've been in one of the short stories though, but like how hard he was working on the ship and how like he threw himself into fixing up all that like guilt surrounding how Festus was working and like wasn't working from the lost hero. Like, I think it's kind of in line. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I don't even feel like this is something that's new to his character, I guess. It's just like a share, like proportionally, yeah. like what is the bulk of his narration? Like we're getting more of this, oh, we all understand that like the joke side is like a veneer yeah. and we're like leaning harder into that as an yeah. idea, I feel. Beyond that sort of dichotomy, the guild, the workism, we have this um, interesting passage where he is trying to examine the Parthenos to see if it is secretly a mechanical weapon. He cannot <laughs> seem to come to grips with the idea that the sacrifices were made for this item that Simple. he cannot understand yeah like the idea of symbolic power of like rectifying an old wrong as like a form in of itself of affecting change it doesn't seem to compute to him some of these passages are a little i, I find a little clunky and like a little like okay we get it like meet more meet more p likes robots but like <laughs> did you say meet more meet more shouldn't it have been like bebop booby meet more is a perfectly normal robot onomatopoeia <laughs> I, have I think never meep ever heard morp? meep morp to describe robot noises someone will defend me someone on the internet no will defend me i have nothing to <laughs> like n double e p m o r p as opposed yes, to like yes. d e e p B-O-P, We've beep all heard Beepop. Everybody knows Beepop, but people also know Meat Morp. They're both I'm true. So, nobody knows Meat Morp. Meat Morp is like more alien. Beepop is more like how I would describe a coder when I'm, I'm trying gonna to be mean. I'm going to quit podcasting. I'm going to quit podcasting. This is too much for me. <laughs>
Multiple people made some notes here about Leo thinking about Hecate and that magic lady and how he doesn't see why such a creepy goddess would suddenly decide to be helpful and he doesn't trust magic. And with Leo especially as such a character that like seems to teeter between like Archimedes' sphere is science, not magic, but magic magic, me don't get, me boop beep like robots. <laughs> but the line is, the line is thin. Yeah, there's a point later in this section where he, I believe he touches a tube and he's able to tell what chemical compounds are in that. I I'm sorry, like- That's magic. <laughs> what? Girl, like, come on, you need to- <laughs> It made me think about, I don't know if this is too off tangent, but all the MCU stuff, how they're always like, you know, like magic is what you mere mortals think is science or whatever. Thor number one, yeah, Thor, Thor number one. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's kind of the same thing. Like he, he has fire powers. He has this ability to just know what gears fit together and like mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff and touch something and know, oh, there's like a secret door here or whatever. Like yeah. that's not machine mm -hmm. stuff. That's something yeah. separate. I think maybe yeah. his issue is just with like magical, powerful women. And he's like, yes. Oh, no, say it. So right. Absolutely say, say it. it again. <laughs> I'll yeah. say it in a little bit when we get to Pasiphae. Yeah, yes. Pasiphae. The way Leo calls the Athena Parthenos big lady just makes me want to unalive. <laughs> I just, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> I, to me, this magic tech binary really reads not as actually a binary, but just a further continuation of him as like an obsessive controller. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to him. Yeah, the divide is not whether or not it's like magical or whether or not like a mortal could do it. It's whether or not he can manipulate and control it and understand it better than everyone else. Oh, and he yeah. just doesn't seem to be willing to come to terms with that in his language. That's all. Yeah, this is a cut for time tangent, but since I know Elizabeth has read the Grishaverse books, I really right. like how that universe spends a lot of time thinking about science versus magic versus religion Small and science. the line between all of those things. Yeah, that was a good connection. Yeah, you should zoom it in. At this point, we um, we switch a little bit. Leo does eventually fall asleep. This is something else he mentions is that his insomnia has been getting worse as like another symptom of his mounting anxiety, I suppose. But he does eventually fall asleep and he um, meets Gaia and specifically Gaia's quote unquote favorite son who is not named in the dream but is this looming, imposing figure. We've seen giants before, but this one is, I feel, described in a much more specific and harrowing way. The quote, I believe, is, he is the void that consumes all magic, the cold that consumes all fire, the silence that consumes all speech. Like that. Yeah, no, it's scary. It's a cut above. Like these other ones, yeah. it's like, oh, like maybe he can turn water into acid. Sure, I guess. This is a cohesive image. And then the dream shifts to, it's a vision of the future of Camp Half-Blood at War and Octavian, you know, leading the Roman army as he should not be doing. Um, <laughs> and female character who gets named later on, but for now is just described as looking like a living Athena Parthenos, which is confusing because you'd think that then it's, a, it's Athena, but it's not. Leo just that doesn't know women. That was super confusing on this read. yeah. <laughs> Leo's just never met a woman in a dress and they all look the same to him. Also, there's a statement about making a choice between the cliff or the cave, which made me think like, wait, is this Hecate? Like talking about the crossroads, but it's not. And we should take some time to address this quote from page 63. I literally didn't um, notice the typo and I literally oh, yes. typed it in. Like I read it, I typed it. I didn't notice until whoever put typo. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a typo in the text on this quote, which is kind of fun. I love when copy errors happen. So Leo was thinking about this mysterious unnamed woman and he says, her eyes were so angry. Leo finally understood why mad was a word for crazy. This lady had been driven nuts by hatred. We'll just name it. This is Pasiphae and- Nasty. Yet another iconic female character from Greek mythology who is like done so dirty by Rick in these books. 
it's partially done dirty by Rick, but I think it is consistent with Leo's character oh, that yes. he would feel this way. Leo's descriptions of women are just across the board. Like, they're bad. They're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Is this where we have the pacifist conversation? Because for me, I was also mostly confused in that, like, this is, I guess, like, also sort of a byproduct of a larger sexism in the way that we think about stories. When I was growing up, I only knew pacifist as, like, the Minotaur's mom, aka the person who, you know, like, lady who... Yeah. Cow. <laughs> and that's, like, all she was known for to me. Because, like, Delos just didn't have anything else, and that was my, you know... Main, but do we have a context for this? Like, like when people talked about the like most powerful sorceress, or like when Hecate yeah. is doing that foreshadowing earlier, I really assumed like, oh, is Cersei back? I feel like when I think about them, I think of like Cersei and Calypso as like in modern popular yeah, culture, like the big names of witchcraft. Medea is she? I would say Medea is the most powerful because she kind of like comes later. Medea, there we go. I'm sorry, that was number one. <laughs> Cersei and Pasiphae are sisters. And Medea kind of comes in and usurps her aunties there. We can talk about her more when she appears and read Ariadne by Jennifer mm-hmm. Saint for some more passive content. So when do we, I didn't realize she's just an unnamed sorceress here. When do we find out her, like who she is? Not until they like encounter her at the end of the book. What? Yeah. The only clue is that um, we like at this point, like she is not named for all of this is the labyrinth necklace, um, which is, it's a strong clue. Ooh, the way that my skin tingled. Oh, I can't wait to get to the end of this book. Um, <laughs> Throw back to everything. Insanity! Yes, the dream ends with Pacifate threatening to murder him in the dream, which, that, that's real. <laughs> that, that, one, that one got me. Leo's <laughs> feeling useless, voiceless, as usual. He wakes up, and then we go to a shit meeting. I love this meeting. I love all meetings. I think this is a great meeting in particular as far as dialogue goes, with them kind of bouncing the plan off each other, trying to figure out what to do without Percy and Annabeth there, trying to figure out how to reunite with them. The dialogue is interesting. This meeting, for me, is the most painful of them to read because of Leo's narration. Like, it is impossible. He just goes person by person in every single person. He's just nasty. He's vile he and rude and discriminatory. In a terrible and, way like, I don't want to hear about. Reads them for filth, but in a way that would, like, any of these things, if you wrote any of these things on, like, Twitter, you would be oh, driven no. off the platform <laughs> in a day. Like, if you said one of these things in a liberal arts seminar, you would be removed. You know, like, that is the kind of thing we were talking about here. I do think Leo would get cancelled on Twitter, like, within five seconds of having an account. Immediately. Ugh. Immediately. Jason assumes the head of the table. Because he's... I guess kind of like the de facto leader with Percy and Annabeth gone. I think we're all in agreement. It should be Hazel. It should be Hazel. It should be Hazel. What does Jason have that everyone else doesn't? I guess he was the praetor. He's also the only white one left. No. He doesn't want to do this. I mean, it's at least in the narration. Leo's like... He is. No. No. Kind of by default. That's... Oh, no. The, The book does address it. The book does address it. I feel like they do an okay job of progressing and being like, oh, you know, like, Jason doesn't actually want this. He's not ready for this. But the answer that they provide instead is also... Not that satisfying. I don't know. I think it's good writing. I think it's like, shame on them. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Jason will deal with his own feelings about leadership. And they are saying, like, Leo sees it in him. He's like, he like looks ill, basically. (laughs) He doesn't want to be in charge, but he's supposed to be. I do think Hazel, not only is Hazel the most powerful demigod. You've really been talking your shit about about this across all platforms. I really know. I once we, once Hazel became a sorcerer, I do think that she became the most powerful of the seven. Like I think she and Percy maybe are tied. They kind of, you know, veer up. You know, they just keep powering up throughout the books. Like they never stop powering up, so it's kind of confusing about who's the most powerful. But also I think that Hazel, you know, has a very important personal stake in this 
we know that she is facing a personal enemy at the end of this, so perhaps she should have more of a hand in planning and be kind of the one in charge. Whatever, yes. it's fine. I just want to say that, like, at 13, Percy was, like, fully depending on Annabeth. He was a guinea pig. And Hazel is doing all this. And, like, before in her backstory right before she even knew who her dad was what these powers were she like raised a giant she raised the oldest giant there's no way she won't be the most powerful of her like generation (laughs) i agree if you take age into account like ridiculous that of course brings us to leo describing every one of the members left one by one and just the sickness the sickness i feel oh my god leo says about hazel that she was wearing quote a commando look that Leo found kind of hot and then immediately felt guilty about. Barf, moving on. <laughs> moving next. On Frank, quote, his grim expression just reinforced his unfortunate resemblance to a sumo wrestler. Wrong country. Um, Do we need to unpack that? Like, <laughs> I don't feel the need to. Um, we should, okay, I think one thing I would like to say about this that's important context that people might not know, sumo is like the national sport of Japan. Maybe people in America just think of it as like a joke, but it is like a respected and esteemed profession that requires a lot of physical strength and training and that people dedicate their lives to and make a lot of money doing in Japan. No, this is racist. This is, racist, this is um, xenophobic it's and it's fatphobic. It's disaster. <laughs> All of the above. On Nico, quote, dang, this kid gives Leo the freaky deekies. For why? For why? Like the freaky deekies in like a freaky way, though? (laughs) No, we're not. I'm not going to co-sign that. I think he's just being gross. This is... (laughs) (laughs) We do also, however, get this adorable description. Quote, his tufts of black hair stuck up in curls like baby bat wings. That's our boy. That's our boy. What a a cutie. Spooky AF. (laughs) King. I... Okay, no, but hear me out. This is... This is so vile. This is so vile that I'm going to say this. But should we be, should we have ever, is there a community out there of people who ship Leo and Nico? Oh, God. And would that have made Please. sense? Please. There is a community. They Everyone always is exist. really upset that Everyone I exists. You can find a community for any pair. But, but a lot of them are wrong. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. And maybe that's because my feeds are very curious. I've seen but... it. I've seen it. Now that you mention it, I've seen it. And now it's... you're going to attract them. You're like drawing them out of the woodwork. Well, right, because it, like, Leo's the one on the outside and he has to find a mate eventually. And Erica, Nico I can't believe you're flushing this out. <laughs> no, but isn't Will, like the whole thing about Will Solis that he's like sunshiny and like goofy and Leo is basically like that anyway. No, he's anyway, not. And, no, he's and, not. And, Absolutely know. not. Absolutely not. I refuse to be associated with this perspective. Will has like a heart of gold. I was just trying to like bring new energy into the conversation. Okay, I respect okay. it. I feel like from my perspective, this is the kind of thing where if I heard, say, a 14-year-old read this and be like, oh, I wonder if Leo and Nico might actually be together. That's the point where I'd pull them aside and be like, don't do that. Don't look for that. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to shift shit my comfort character with like a misogynist, but it's okay. He's literally, oh. I like, I don't think it's an enemies to lovers thing. I think he genuinely like does not like Nico, does not understand him, does not trust him in a way that is gross and is probably informed by some like latent homophobia that we like cannot really textually confirm yeah. at this point but you know that's the energy i'm getting yeah but you know this fandom yeah. is like really like would die in the hill to say that leo valdez is bisexual <laughs> perhaps he is he doesn't like nico i strongly believe that and yeah. nico would not like him should not like him not in a house not with a mouse not in a <laughs> <laughs> shut up shut up okay let's move on we didn't need to talk about not. that in the first place <laughs> There's one more read. Uh, Leo has one more read here. This one, this one, he's actually trying to be nice. Leo says on Piper, 
Leo Wishpiper were here, she had a way of calming things down with that Aphrodite charm of hers. He means that in a nice way because they're supposed to be friends. Let's remember that Leo and Piper, other than Percy and Annabeth, have like the longest standing relationship here. And this, this is what he has to say about her? I mean... Also just the way that per- Piper's entire arc is about trying not to be that Aphrodite charming girl and she doesn't want to be known for like being pretty and getting people to do things and Leo turns around and just that's the only way he sees her. It hurts so bad. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. Surrounded by these stupid men. <laughs> uh... It would have felt different if the Aphrodite part had been gone. Yes. I think it would be consistent with everything else going on for Leo and Piper to just have like a normal, good, non-toxic relationship, sort of, you know, but we can't even have that. That's okay. (laughs) We spend a lot of time dragging Leo. Um, Let's... Checking Leo. I'm like, wait, why do I like him? (laughs) Wait, no, wait, because you do. Listen, if you want to think about it, and tell us, I would appreciate that because- We're in open space. The vegetarian tacos he made Piper in The Lost Hero. The fact That's that true. Remembered... That was a good move. <laughs> Piper is actually a vegetarian icon for me. Fun fact. Like, I became vegetarian, and then I read about her, like, literally a week later. She was, was one like, of the representation only, matters. The I can only. do this. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Oh, because the case study of Leo and the way he is written to the way he is received and, and created in the fandom mm-hmm. is so it's very fascinating. Dissertations need to be done. Physicality, characterization, etc. What are we seeing in him? And by we, I mean not me. <laughs> you mean me? I know. Okay, I'll keep. Re- no, I'll just keep you and many others. Many others. Literally, I'm on this very concerning side of tiktok where people are yelling at each other in my comments about persebeth being enemies to lovers no they're friends to love like i made a tiktok about how they were mm-hmm. friends to lovers because i had right. seen one and the amount of people who are just like you guys are stupid they're enemies to lovers or like because annabeth was like you drew when you sleep that like she hated percy and it's it's the basic it's lack of reading comprehension <laughs> I, I don't know the interpretation so honestly yeah whatever to quote our high school english teacher like you can think whatever you want but if it is directly contradicted you got to keep it pushing you got to keep it moving you know like (laughs) we can move on to the actual content of this meeting um (laughs) i'm sorry yeah that was a side note i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) so the whole reason we're, we're having this meeting is because nico got info nico quote commune with the dead last night so powerful um, <laughs> ridiculously powerful and he, he's gonna let us know about the house of hades shall we shall we just go back over this the house of hades was a site for like pilgrims in greece to venture to to honor their relatives it was a form of ancestor worship which is common as leo and frank note around the world in many different cultures but fascinatingly nico makes um a distinction here and says that actually at the house of hades you can really contact your ancestors because there are real spirits there as opposed to another cultural practice as opposed to another cultural practice whether or not real spirits but um, (laughs) that's basically what we're walking into also nico names the giant that we see the you know one who absorbs all the fire kills all the magic blah 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 blah. uh the giant's name is Clytius. so we have that we're ready this is a name i used to mispronounce I think I think Rick literally just, doesn't he like put the phonetics in the text just to like avoid he knew. us. I think you was know happen. what I Yeah, he yeah. was doing his best, but like we said, we don't read, so there's no way I would pick up on that, frankly. I definitely was saying it wrong. 
Stop. I need to stop laughing. Carter, not you thinking that's so funny and then dragging Leo later for all of the, like, dick jokes that are in this perspective. Not... They're not good dick jokes, though. That's the difference. It's not like... I'm not saying that you can't make jokes about pooping. All of these things can be really funny. You just have to, like, put two seconds into it. <laughs> anyway. You haven't talked about it, but Gail the farting polecat does not get enough love. Oh, yeah. It's so Icon. funny. Every time Gail shows up, they're just like, oh, by the way, Gail farted. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> That's how you do it. Everybody needs to take notes. <laughs> we have to get out of this POV. We had some other quick moments here. How to kill the giant. Yes. Nico reveals that, um, like, Clytus' weakness apparently is fire, which we sort of already knew because Hecate told us a story about killing the giant with the two torches. The problem, of course, that we know and that Leo knows is that um, the giant is famously the absorber of fire. Hazel also um, sort of gets her tea aired out in front of everybody a little bit about the woman in Leo's dream, who, of course, we have established is Pasiphae, sorceress, mother of the Minotaur, etc. But Hazel's not sharing that information with everybody else. There's this powerful, powerful moment where she and Nico do a siblingy eyes meet, silent argument. Glance. <laughs> Glances. Pointed glances across the table. Silent conversation between them. They're so cute. Good for them. They know. They're keeping it real. I actually like the way Jason here, page 71, he's like, well, actually, do I like this? Well, if Hecate believes Hazel can defeat her, then so do I. I think he's like trying to be like encouraging. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Just the way like we get Leo who's like, oh, this is not going to work. Yeah. Like, mm, that's true. That's then, true. That's true. Sure. Yes. Good. I Good for him. Jason, Jason has leadership instincts. He just doesn't want to do it. It's not his destiny. And truly, not everyone should want him to do it either. He's a nice guy. He's fine. He's fine. He tried to leave Nico. He's not a nice guy. He's not. He's <laughs> not. We have to remember. He's an absolutely <laughs> even 50-50 guy at all times. I bet he smells bad. I bet he... Um... <laughs> I don't think anyone I actually don't think that's smells true. bad. No, Jason I think absolutely does not smell bad. Clean. There are other things wrong with him. They scrub the Castile soap. <laughs> when do they have time for personal hygiene? This is something I've always wondered with the Tartarus quest. I'm like, it's gotta be No, disgusting. they smell terrible. Like, the pheromones are gonna be strong. <laughs> <laughs> Not the pheromones. Not the pheromones. That's my oh, bad. That's boy. my bad. Oh, buddy. I shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> I, I, I retracted, redacted. The meeting gets interrupted because these. How do they describe it? A lot of these descriptions make me very uncomfortable. They're described as, like, super ugly dwarf monkey demon things. Come on, tie everybody up, steal a bunch of shit, wreak havoc. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. So we have to go off and chase them. <laughs> and they do. They they sure do. Just Jason, Jason and, and Leo. Leo. It makes me so upset here how Nico's attacked by plates and then Hazel goes to help him. But honestly, like, none, none of the other guys probably would have, right? It's they, literally like, true. established they don't really care about or trust yep. him. And she's like, you guys go. And then they're utterly, like, useless. Literally. And she has this metal power. Like, it would have been a great opportunity for her to test her magic, to get, I don't know, summon the the stuff back. What, what do they steal? All the metal. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't know. They just did this mm -hmm. for vague personality alignment reasons, which I can respect from a writing perspective. But also, like, I am irritated. Yeah. <laughs> we have a little Jason, Leo, two-man moment, and they kind of split up and plan to like meet back at the monkey man hideout and there's not much to say about this leo has like a moment of doing tinkery things and trying to feel useful he makes a bomb out of like convenience store stuff and uses it to incapacitate the two dwarves they do continuously note throughout these chapters that the dwarves take his pan zipper 
So his pants are constantly falling down. And they, they don't That's let funny. us forget it. Like, every... That's funny. Anyway, Leo mostly takes care of it. Um, and then Jason, there's this fun line that says, page 91, Jason flew in like Peter Pan, electricity sparking around him and his gold sword steaming. Leo whistled appreciatively, man, you just wasted an awesome entrance. Jason frowned. And, like, that is a funny line, but also I think it's telling of what we've been talking about. Jason is just not fitting in, doing his shtick that he feels like he's supposed to do. Like, he's showing up too late. He's, like, getting hit in the head. Like, what's he supposed to be doing? We don't know. He doesn't know. He's not any happier than we are. And he's gonna, like, make some life changes soon. So that's good. Yeah, he got, like, wrapped up in their net. He fell into their trap. Yes. (laughs) Out of the fight. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah, so we've we've successfully incapacitated the dwarves. Like they, they take all their own stuff back for them, but they're like also looking through the treasure because I think Hecate says something to the effect of the dwarves have something that you need. Leo gets the object that they're looking for, which we're pretty sure is this like gold book from a minor god who lives in Venice. Cool, sure. <laughs> Leo also picks up this navigational device from Odysseus. Tingles. Fascinating. It's missing a crystal. What could it go to? What is it useful for? I don't know. We're just going to pocket it. So interesting. What did Odysseus want to navigate towards? <laughs> interesting. My biggest what if. That sounds a lot like something Percy thought in Battle of the Labyrinth. Uncle Rick, the call, the way that it's the, the, he just slips it in. Like it's the monkey that says that was my biggest what if. I should have taken the crystal. <gasps> He's just giving us the biggest winky wink wink right here. Very exciting. <laughs> it totally, I didn't, I had no clue the first time I read this. <laughs> Did you guys like figure it out? I was like, oh, weird. I don't remember. I, not to be whatever. <laughs> Did you figure like, it out, Carter? I, I, I didn't figure it out, but I read that and it's like, oh, oh, I'm about to be irritated. <laughs> <laughs> That's what reading comprehension looks like. That's a Carter for yeah. you. And, okay, one more, I really want to get out of this POV, but this quote from page 94, where Leo's considering, like, killing the dwarves, but he looks at the dwarves and he thinks, he'd fought lots of monsters before, never felt bad about dissolving them, but this was different. He had to admit he sort of admired these little guys. They played cold pranks and liked shiny things. Leo could relate. Besides, Percy and Annabeth were in Tartarus right now, hopefully still alive, trudging towards the doors of death. The idea of sending these twin monkey boys there to face the same nightmarish problem, well... It didn't seem right. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of self-reflection. I guess. I don't know. I feel like for the moment we saw that we were like, oh, like <laughs> of course. It's Leo's perspective. We had to do this. <laughs> but good for him. No, I think it's good. I, I just like that because Percy and Annabeth are about to think a lot about consequences mm-hmm. and what it means to kill monsters. It's true. It's true. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. This is a conversation we've been having since day one. Like, what is a monster? What does that category mean? Is it right? Just because demigods are supposed to kill monsters, does that make it okay? Tyson was a monster, blah, blah. Ella the Harpy is a monster, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I appreciate that not only Persebeth is experiencing this thought process, but Leo is also thinking about it just by virtue of like the closeness to death that they're feeling right now. And the idea of people being in Tartarus, like it's causing... I like that he doesn't mm-hmm. say, like I shouldn't send them there because then Percy and Annabeth are going to have to fight them. It's like, I shouldn't send them there because then they're going to be stuck in Tartarus. And how bad must that be? empathy yeah right but is it just because they're similar to him it absolutely Maybe. is because they're similar yeah, to him but that's like because like, that, that's, that's totally like fundamentally like empathy like you you work your yeah. way out yeah <laughs> true and so instead of killing them he sends them to go screw with the roman army and i think that takes us to a break because we're going to switch perspectives
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There, we're going to talk about some Percy stuff. Okay, we are back, and we're in Percy's perspective, and we open up on this absolutely delightful quote. Percy had taken his girlfriend on some romantic walks before. This wasn't one of them. As they skirt the banks of the Phlegathon, following Kelly and the other Impausai, it's kind of like they're on a date. They're, you know, they're on a nice walk, and um, there's all these wonderful lines like, wow, Percy really knew how to show a girl a good time. And <laughs> it's so delightful, especially contrasting with Leo's POV. All So much of the writing and language throughout the Tartarus chapters has so much to do with coupledom and partnership, but in a way that, like, isn't annoyingly horny you know <laughs> and it tells me rick knows what to do he just chooses not to sometimes he was so sad that they were together he had the ridiculous urge to smile i'm smiling ridiculously right now yeah what a golden retriever boyfriend he was like me and my girlfriend fell into tartarus isn't it so nice we're together right now <laughs> yeah and he he just there's a lot more callbacks here um does anyone want to read this wow when he started looking back on the war with Cronus as the good old days that was sad. <laughs> he kept hoping things would get better. Sorry. <laughs> he kept hoping things would get better for Annabeth and him, but their lives just got more and more dangerous, as if the three fates were up there spinning their futures with barbed wire instead of thread, just to see how much two demigods could tolerate. Oh, that got dark really, Oof. really fast. Yeah, there are a lot of throwbacks similar to that as we progress through this. Um, and in general, throughout the book, like because it's about consequences, you need to remember where you've been and what you've done, right? So, like, we have a throwback as well to um, Luke's winged shoes, which Annabeth brings up. Girl. Sure, girl. Um, <laughs> she's like fawn. She's like, wow, remember Luke's winged shoes? And he's like, yeah, they almost killed Barber. Yeah, I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> oh girl no that's important context you were right to bring it back up <laughs> sorry annabeth i get it i get it we all get it we we have some throwbacks also to yapetus slash bob just sort of in the middle of the rest of them you know like oh haha remember that didn't you befriend a titan one time how funny and then we move right along we keep him moving there's also a throwback to tantalus who is truly, like, most of these other callbacks, I was like, oh, what a great moment, haha. <laughs> Tantalus was genuinely someone who was like, wait, pause, hold up. <laughs> Do I remember that? Was Tantalus in these books? And he was. Yeah, he was. He was in the Sea of Monsters. <laughs> I remember. He was there. But it took me a second. <laughs> Rick was like, it's a quiz. You better remember everything I've already taught you. <laughs> Think back to it. We're testing your reading comprehension. Uh. <laughs> Somebody wrote the phrase here, shout out to getting old and thinking it'll get easier, but it just gets worse. <laughs> yeah, I said that. <laughs> I'm so old now and it's so much worse. <laughs> oh, it's very true. Oh, no one put the forehead kiss. We missed that. Oh, I remembered. Page one. I was like, I don't know if I should talk about this. I don't know if that's telling on myself too much, but it does happen. He kissed Annabeth's forehead. We should keep moving. You want some more fire to drink. So considerate. <laughs> Wait, why did you have to bring that up? Now I'm feeling things. <laughs> this is the Percival podcast, right? It very much he is. Kissed <laughs> okay, breathe. Yeah, at least he had Annabeth. They would find a way out of Tartarus. They had to. He didn't think much of fates and prophecies, but he did believe in one thing. 
Annabeth and he were supposed to be together. They hadn't survived so much just to get killed now. <laughs> I couldn't even it's make it schmaltzy. through. There's a lot of that, but also... But we deserve it! Okay, when you but think about the it. road it took to get here, <laughs> we deserve to hear Percy say, we're soulmates. He doesn't believe in prophecies. We know that. I don't believe in fate or psychic visions, but when things fall into place, superposition. That's a Young the Giant quote. Um, Thank you for that. add it into the Tartarus playlist. <laughs> yeah. um, so all of this is happening as we're making our way down. We have reached a cliff, or we're climbing down the cliff to get to the rest of the river. I, I noted this moment. As they're climbing down the cliff, Percy, as a way of reminding us that he's hungry, has this little dialogue. Quote, keep climbing. Cheeseburgers. Shut up. With fries. That's the dialogue between Percy and his stomach. Because of course it is. Percy, once you're at the bottom, makes this thing that really terrified me. Um, he like grabs the ground and he's like, I felt a skin at the bottom. There's a single membrane underneath a thin layer of dirt. That is the entirety of Tartarus. That, that is so disgusting. That is so gross yeah. and terrifying, but also vivid. It makes me itchy. Does that make sense? Like Yes. Yes, exactly. I feel unclean thinking about the it. The way the monsters, when they get like reborn, it's described as a blister, like bursting open on the surface of the ground. But to me, it sounds like a pimple. Like a zit. Like, Tartarus has zits and they're monsters. <laughs> yeah. I also have zits that are monsters. monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Great, girl, we're all on the same page. Literally on the same page there. <laughs> of the Frank bit, I just remember Frank complaining about how people only valued him as like... Uh, transportation and here percy's like wow good old frank who always seemed to show up when needed and could turn into an eagle or a dragon <laughs> like yep i'm gonna side with percy on that one frank be grateful come uh, on <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i think it would be a cool power but yeah <laughs> it reminds me of when annabeth was under the catacombs of rome and was like oh i wish i had everyone for their unique special powers right now it'd be so helpful even piper <laughs> Yeah, she did say that. She could convince the ghost to give her more information. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's jarring because the rest of the crew are constantly thinking about Percy and Annabeth, and they, like, never think about anyone else, which makes sense. Like I said, they're literally, like, dying. They have other problems. They have other problems. They didn't know them like that. (laughs) I didn't think it was that funny, but... Yeah, no, I'm sure if we counted, like, everyone is constantly like, oh, Persephone, like, wow. Like, same, I get it. I would be constantly thinking about <laughs> no, them. No, it's funny. But... It is funny because they're so much more powerful than everyone else. <laughs> Except for Hazel. <laughs> Spread that propaganda. Let, let people know. <laughs> anyway, with that, we are now entering an exposed plane. Shit's different. We're now basically assuming that we're going to run into all the monsters. And they immediately do. They take three steps out there. And it turns out that the Impalos have realized who they are and are ambushing them. Um, It's fight time. It's it's sort of fight time. First, it's Kelly getting her smack talk in time. First, it's (laughs) the way that we encounter pretty much every monster in this book. Annabeth delay time. Which is funny because we've seen it happen in every book leading up to now, how Annabeth uses this, but it's never been named, and now it gets named every time, every single time they face somebody. It's like, okay, time to do Athena talk time. Time for Annabeth to whip out that convo. Like, let's do it. Delay, delay, <laughs> trickery, trickery. And I'm like, okay, we can cool it. We know what's happening now. 
I don't know what to say about this. It's not looking good. It's like both in the sense of like it's dangerous for them. They are outmatched, but also like I don't enjoy this. Kelly, Kelly and her <laughs> comrades. That's what Percy called them earlier, which I was like, that's an interesting use of the word comrade. Because Kelly does not experience solidarity with the other Rapunzel. <laughs> they're <laughs> no, not comrades. They're anti-capitalist they gods, so they are the comrades. <laughs> the monsters are the comrades in this circumstance. There's like so much potential for them to be like some like hunters of artemis group and instead they're like mean girls i i just yeah. i think it would be cool if they were like some tight coven especially like like this is obviously not canon i'm saying someone could write this fan fiction or whatever ding, ding, of, like <laughs> they're like going around like seducing and then killing like men with history of like crimes of violence <gasps> against women jennifer's body or like <laughs> Is that I've never That's like literally Jennifer's body, like not spoilers spoiler alert for Jennifer's body, I guess. The plot is that like Megan Fox is like a monster who eats men's bodies. Um, oh. But like in a feminist I, that's way. That's basically the same thing. Yeah, I'm saying suck their But blood, in a bisexual way. I literally just, in a bisexual way. I get extremely uncomfortable thinking about vampires, but there was like potential here right. for something cooler right and instead they're just bickering yeah. and annabeth is able to trick them into killing each other like she's good but is she that good i don't know <laughs> at a minimum i think it would be nice for the impulse to be like they should they could be catty but also like the women is worded around you're like kelly why does she hate the other impulse does that track to what end Wh- what are we supposed to learn from this <laughs> i think mean girls tropes were really high at this time in 2010 and they still are and i love a mean girl what is it a mean bisexual and an even meaner lesbian um, that's but, literally the new Gossip Girl adaptation. Yeah. No, I love that. But I think that in this case, they were written by a man. And so sometimes it hits, sometimes it misses. This one, yeah, we could have done more with them. Um, I also want to shout out the actual physical, the actual literal dialogue of Percy thinking to himself, I should delay right now. And he's like, Annabeth's favorite thing to do in this circumstance is trickery, talk, and delay. So he started, I guess you're wondering what we're doing in Tartarus. <laughs> And Kelly goes, not really. I just want to kill you. And Percy's like, that would have been it. I would have been murdered right there if Annabeth wasn't there to help me. And she picks up the conversation from there. And she's like, my sweet dumb boyfriend, he tried so hard to do what I would have done. Thank God I'm here. Annabeth also, Annabeth also delightfully, oh God, girl, 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 girl. Annabeth, um, as a part of her delay, says... Quote, I feel slimy, time, I feel dirty, I feel unclean. The last time she was in the mortal world, Kelly was in charge of keeping my friend, Luke Castellan, faithful to Kronos. More like my abuser. <laughs> like, what would be the more appropriate thing to say there? The father figure who tried to instigate a relationship with me, Luke Castellan. <laughs> After several times trying to murder me. <laughs> she really paints him out to be a martyr. And like... He didn't do anything he didn't want to do. That is what's so hard about it, that we've all kind of gotten to this point where we're like, well, what Luke did was wrong. But in Annabeth's head, she's still, it's good that I saved him, huh? He was redeemable to the very end. This is where it would be interesting to have Percy be like, what? Yeah, I know. But instead, <laughs> Percy is just like, Luke was hot. <laughs> like, that's literally what <laughs> No, no, not really, though. Why were they both? Okay, wait, here's the thing. They both were manipulated by Luke, and we all know Luke is Percy's type, so. (laughs) Manipulative blonde. Mm. All right. 
Oof. Well, 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 well. We've all relived that. We've all relitigated that every time. <laughs> as we must. As we must for our own health. Relitigate that every time. But um... There's one more important thing in this conversation. As Annabeth is taking over the conversation, she tries to scare the impasta by saying, well, the Romans and Greeks are together now. There's no way you're going to defeat the demigods. And they're like, yeah, we will. And then finally, like, her last tactic is being like, wait, isn't your mom Hecate? didn't we like ding 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 she is on our side now so shouldn't you be on our side any more issues kelly snapped at her sisters hecate is the goddess of the mist her ways are mysterious who knows which side she truly favors she's also the goddess of crossroads and she expects us to make our own choices i choose the path that will bring us the most demigod blood i choose gaia her friends hissed in approval i have a glance at percy and he saw that she was out of ideas she'd done what she could She'd gotten Kelly to eliminate one of her own. Now there's nothing left but to fight. For two years, I churned in the void, Kelly said. Do you know how completely annoying it is to be vaporized, Annabeth Chase? Slowly reforming, fully conscious, in searing pain for months and years as your body regrows, then finally breaking the crust of this hellish place and clawing your way back to daylight? All this because some little girl stabbed you in the back? Her baleful eyes held Annabeth's. I wonder what happens if a demigod is killed in Tartarus. I doubt it's ever happened before. Let's find out. Yes, and then they find I, I heard this in my head as I was reading it uh, in the voice of, what's her name? Electroabundance. I was, no, I heard you do <laughs> Little it. Little girl. I heard you, I heard you do the, the harsh tea as um, Electra would do. I have no clue who that is. <gasps> Wait, have you not seen Pose? No. Oh, you gotta watch Pose. Okay. She's very yeah. iconic on the show. Anyway, yes. in case we weren't super clear earlier, this all happens because at Annabeth's behest, the Empowers, they were fighting each other over whether or not they're gonna take the side of the demigods because of what Hecate's doing. Kelly wins a fight, says all of this, is about to kill everybody, and then that brings us battle battle. They both get bitten and slashed, and it seems like this is the end for Percy and Annabeth. There's no way they're going to get out of this. Annabeth doesn't even have a weapon. The way I feel like partly they should already be dead, but also like it's really cool to see Annabeth <laughs> like grabbing a rock to yes! hit Kelly with. Percy tried to ignore them, staggered towards Annabeth, determined to go down defending her if he had to. But Annabeth was doing pretty well. She tumbled to one side, evading Kelly's claws, and came up with a rock in her hand, which she smacked into Kelly's nose. Kelly wailed. Annabeth scooped up gravel and flung it in the impousa's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and then meanwhile, Percy is like slashy slashing. My but girl like what is if throwing they... dirt? <laughs> It's bad for her. Oh. Yeah, luckily she gets a weapon later, but... <laughs> she figures it out. That was it. His luck had finally run out. Kelly loomed over Annabeth, savoring her moment of triumph. The other two in Palsai circled Percy, their mouths slavering, ready for another taste. Then a shadow fell across Percy. A deep war cry bellowed from somewhere above, echoing across the plains of Tartarus, and a titan dropped onto the battlefield. What a way to say that. A titan dropped onto the battlefield. But it's Bob. But it's Bob. <laughs> the idea that he jumped from, like, the top of Tartarus all the way down here, it gets me every time. Like, he heard it, and then he was probably falling, like, from the period of time that Percy <laughs> said his name until now, like, falling down into the pit, just waiting to land, and he just happened to land at the right time to come and save them. What a legend. I love him. Bob is a king. So excellent. So... <laughs> Bob ex machina here. Yeah, Bob ex machina. <laughs> Deus ex Bobina. Uh, <laughs> I feel like some people have. I don't know why I was doing this the other day, but I was reading like top five worst Riordan verse deaths. Um, and one of them was like, well, spoiler, 
for Bob. Um, but I think it was worth, like, as in, like, I think people feel like, well, he was in a sto- small story and then he was brought into this book and he was only here for one book and blah, blah, blah. I don't, that doesn't bother me because we know lots of characters what? who are it only here masterful. for one book. Yeah. This is the, this is the perfect character. I don't know what they're talking about. Bob is like the, <laughs> Bob is like the, if you will, the Zoe Nightshade of the Heroes of Olympus. Yeah. The way I feel like we get to know him, just this book alone, like yes. you don't really need the short story because it doesn't really, like one sentence, his memory was wiped. That's kind of all you need to know to meet him now. I, I don't know. It's true. And his story is so, across the arc of this book, it's so contained. It's so perfect, oh. precise. Yeah. An arc for the ages. You know, like, had really... an effect on all of us. Shall we talk about it? Bob, this last chapter is pretty short. It's basically just that Bob is here, Bob saves them, and lets them know that they gotta keep him moving. We got a few other things in there. Like, Bob, for instance, we find out is wearing a janitor uniform. At this point, we don't really know what's up with that. That's weird. Bob is a titan, even though his memory's been wiped. Why is he carrying a broom? Yeah. Which he apparently is able to use very effectively to kill monsters, but also, like, Yapitas traditionally is... I believe his nickname, if I'm misremembering, he's like the, the impaler. impaler or the spear yep. or something. The impaler. Yeah. Like, he's, he's like a spear user, and yet he's using a broom because it's similar, but why doesn't he have a spear? These types of questions are not answered at this point. Is there anything more we have to say about this? It's, like, really quick. We're just gonna, we're gonna get to know Bob. <laughs> yeah, and the, I guess the way, like, I don't know if we want to talk about this at all. Like, he seems to know very limited words. He knows mm-hmm. his name. Yeah. He knows he likes to help. He shows up and says, quote, sweep, 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 sweep. <laughs> we actually, I do feel like we should read some of this. Just like really quickly. Go ahead. You don't have to read it quickly. Take your time. Percy called me, the janitor said happily. Yes, he did. Annabeth crawled a little further away. Her arm was bleeding badly. Called you? He... Wait, you're Bob? The Bob? The janitor frowned when he noticed Annabeth's wounds. Owie. Annabeth flinched as he knelt next to her. It's okay, Percy said, still woozy with pain. He's friendly. You remember the first time he met Bob? He tightened healed a bad wound on Percy's shoulder just by touching it. Sure enough, the janitor tapped Annabeth's forehead and mended instantly. Bob chuckled, pleased with himself, then bounced over to Percy and healed his bleeding neck and arm. The titan's hands were surprisingly warm and gentle. All better, Bob declared, his eerie silver eyes crinkling with pleasure. I am Bob, Mm. Percy's friend. And the way Percy here, he's just thinking about him as the janitor, the janitor. He literally just saved them. He saved their lives. And Percy's like, uh, yeah, thanks for the help. Like, I guess he's shocked. I I don't know. This is one... I really love Dark Percy, but I kind of dislike the entire way, like, he treats Bob in this. And we see, I mean... You guys, yes. will, I'll listen to you guys unpack that later on. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can come back. I, I would love to. I love Bob so much. Literally, he just deserves so much more. Ugh. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I think it's so powerful. Ugh, I mean, talk about consequences. Like, this mm-hmm. is a character that exists because of something Percy did. Bob is like a ticking time bomb, and we don't know if what's going to happen with this character, but we're also dealing with Percy specifically feeling really terrible yes. about the fact that he created Bob and Bob seems happy now, but also he left him to this horrible fate and blah, 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 blah. And also like he did erase all of Bob's memories and I Percy got his memories wiped and that wasn't so fun for him. I was going to say this is like exemplary of the fact that it's Heroes of Olympus and we're older now and we're thinking through things more. But I think Percy, mm-hmm. I think we did this a lot in the original series too. Like th- this character is not treated simply. We don't know how to feel about him. We don't know how he feels about us. As in, like, mm-hmm. we don't know how he feels about Percy and Annabeth. And it goes back and forth, and he is given the time to, like, decide how he yes. feels and to, like, make yes. that decision for himself. Oh yes. my god, it's so brilliant. Absolutely. It's so good. And this really is all compounded by the fact that it seems both true that we did complicate some characters. Like, Tyson was, like, this masterful case in the Sea of Monsters where we were like, what is a monster? Blah, 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 all that stuff. But um, the way that Bob is first introduced, like, the character of Yabata's only works in this short story in which 
basically after he gets memory wipe, like that that's the end. Like it's a punchline. Like we're supposed to feel like elated that this Titan is in this position where he's just going to be nice and friendly from now on and that's all we should think about it. And that as the setup for this is very like brought us before it's an opening of like our ideas of like what are the consequences we can accept for other people and like what it, it like is asking more more generously and more openly the question like what we owe to um yeah to 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 others yeah and i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this but i do think it's interesting like there's so many characters we see this use of like limited language with like tyson probably being the main one bob yes. other characters um I think it's worth, like, thinking about, like, for Bob, obviously, it's kind of like, oh, he is, he has this innocence that comes from the fact that he has basically been, like, reverted to a childlike state of mm-hmm. n- not knowing very much, and therefore, like, being blissfully ignorant. But yeah, I think it's interesting to think about how that language, that, like, limited use of article adjectives and things um, affects our characterization of him. Right, because it changes as the book continues. Yes. My first thought, which of course I've only thought in recent rereads, is that um, he just reminds me at this point of like, someone experiencing um, like some form of Alzheimer's, and like the that mm. like the language like not being necessarily coherent, and like one of the last things remembered is like the name i guess but in this case it's like the reverse process so it's kind of weird so that's like where my comparison ends Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i guess percy basically was like your name's bob you like helping people and then dropped him off like has he been talking to people we find out later about nico but Mm -hmm. right now like we just think he's basically just been a servant to hades that's gotta suck nothing makes me think about like elder care and we're just talking about like elder worship and like how we treat people you know and just like you just percy just dropped him off at this place and was like assuming that they were going to take care of him and then he had this horrible awful experience and was totally taken advantage of and oof. period yes it's true psa let us invest more as a country in um skilled nursing facilities and um workers but um is that is is that all for this i think that's all for this i think we're just gonna stew in our feelings about bob um for the rest of this book (laughs) i have a kind of happier question that i was wondering like what do you guys think of protective percy because i feel like his main thoughts are kind of like like protect Annabeth and like oh she's pretty and then like oh monsters like we see though that she's also taking care of him and you know they both had the same training she's had more of it like leading to this moment I like it but I'm also kind of like calm down <laughs> to put it simply hot um I find it to be <laughs> a hot trait but it's so it's it's a huge part of his arc right how much am mm-hmm. I supposed to yes. protect her and to what lengths am I supposed to go to to protect her so I, I appreciate that you flagged that for us so we can keep paying attention to like when is percy like like oh i need to go over right. and help annabeth just kidding she's fine she's flinging gravel in someone's face <laughs> she's right. got this yeah he's learning about that and what the boundaries are and when she needs and doesn't need him yeah i feel like there's a difference between like she died too easy and like he's facing two vampires and she's i don't know what harm is he gonna bring upon himself trying mm-hmm. to save her when she doesn't necessarily need it yes. and that's literally his fatal block <laughs> <laughs> but also at the same time at the same time who took a knife for percy knowing he was practically invulnerable annabeth chased it they do this for each other they are so worried about each other at all times but they keep each other alive because every like one out of ten time when they do need that protection it works wow 
And with that... Do you, Elizabeth, believe <laughs> Percibeth is the greatest love story ever told? I <laughs> hesitate to make such a general statement, because it's hard to back away from gracefully. But I'm going to have to say yes. What else compares? <laughs> oh, there shout out go. to my there friend Susan... Susan, I'm on the podcast. Um, I was telling her, I got her though, I got her hooked on this too. And I was like, oh, I want to Shout out to Susan. Like, ask hey, Susan. Me this question. <laughs> and she's like, well, like, who else would you like answer? Because I was like, I like, are they the greatest? And I was like, I literally don't know. There's no one else I can think of who I've loved quite so long and who like has such iconic moments that continue to give and give. Like, despite my age and life circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, that's pretty amazing. Well we done, go. Uncle Rick. Well done, my king. <laughs> and there, that remains one question. Do you think that Western <laughs> civilization be worth it, though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> she said yes, there. she said no, period. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah, a hard statement to back away from. But literally... These are children, and the way they're continuing, generations of children are dying. And it, I just feel like, wow, literally nothing's changing. They keep recognizing the problems, and nothing is shifting. It's kind of like, you know, Luke had the, like, noble concept, bad execution, very, very bad execution. I, I don't know. I just yeah. want them to live happy, whole, healthy lives. <laughs> yeah. And as long as they keep fighting the stupid like roman and greek gods battles that's not gonna happen at least luke had a concept and bad execution like gaia just has desires the potential here the potential here for like an environmentalist Mm -hmm. like you know grover gone bad heroes of olympus alternate universe where gaia was trying to avenge pan and wipe mortals off the earth so that she could thanos snap the world back into prosperity and grover and the other satyrs become (laughs) evil because they quote-unquote evil you know complicated villains because they support Gaia and that automatically looked that rights coach hedge out of it and we solved two we killed two birds with one stone no more coach hedge Hedge. or coach hedge is like two very unfortunate chapters anyway I'm glad I know everybody in the whole world feels that way about Gaia but it's nice to be bitter about it sometimes (laughs) yay Percival yay Yay, (laughs) Percival Percibeth is really great, really great, really great. great. Percibeth is really great and deserves the opposite of hate, which is love. Yay. Yay. That should be our new theme song for the show. (laughs) We would get sued. We would get sued. Disney would absolutely Um, obliterate us. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for hopping on here from your literal hotel as you are moving right now. We appreciate it so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. Would you like to plug your book socials for the people yes i have multiple platforms though you can find me mostly on instagram where i read review and generally fangirl about a lot (laughs) when i should probably be doing college essays i don't know (laughs) um it's uh at swords dot and dot sweets so yeah that's where you guys can find me and let me know if you agree about leo or if i (laughs) am utterly wrong which is fine (laughs) make sure you follow us on social media see brain podcast on instagram see brain pod on twitter give us five star reviews and we'll see you next week carter was doing this like over and out thing so 
Over and out. Over and out. <laughs> <laughs>